0: Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are discussing Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 37, and chapter 9, verse 1 through 8, and 9 through 12. The three deeds that offend. Our prayer request this week is a joy. This last few weeks, I've been working with one of our listeners as he has been dealing with his own sobriety. As I say each week at the end of our episode, there is a difference between an occasional glass and an addiction. And I'm happy to say that that listener is now in AA and on his road to recovery. If you do ever need help, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you through the paths of recovery as this listener did. Today I am drinking an old fashioned made with Basil Hayden bourbon. Now let's start with a prayer Almighty God, We thank you for the healing you do in our lives, for the healing of our heart, and for the healing of our soul. Allow this not to be the best part of our day, but merely a building block to something better to come. Amen. So today, just as we've done in the past, we're going to split up our reading in three different sections. Each section will deal with a deed that Jesus did that offended some people. And we'll talk about why these people were offended by his deeds and why he did them in the first place, and why sometimes it's okay to offend. Starting with Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 37. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gardenese, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. The whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 37. This passage starts after a series of teaching and miraculous healings that Jesus did. Jesus and his disciples embarked on a boat and journeyed across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Upon their arrival, they were confronted by two men under the control of demonic forces. Both the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark include this event, but they only include one man possessed by demons. But the rest of the details are almost identical, though Matthew's is relatively shorter than the other two Gospels, not having the part where Jesus calls the demons by name, but instead just having Jesus say, go. But these two men are described in much the same manner as the single man is described in Mark and Luke. They lived in the tombs, isolated from society, and acted violently. Toward others and themselves. And this narrative talks about demons. And that's something that's fairly controversial today. In this podcast, I'm not going to tell you necessarily what to believe when it comes to demonic possession, but I can tell you a little bit about this scripture. I had a close friend of mine who did a lot of research into demonic possession in the Bible in comparison with mental disorders that we might diagnose today. And in some ways, they are similar, but in other ways, they're different. Some of the symptoms might match up to one diagnosis or another, while others are completely removed from any medical diagnosis. But it's also true that there aren't a vast number of people who are clearly demon-possessed living in cemeteries today. Now, this could be explained by Christ's resurrection, that in the world after the resurrection, there was no longer demons, that they had been sent away, or we could just not be recognizing them. I'm sure you have your own ideas about demons and how they relate to our modern society in the Bible. But what we do know is here in this scripture, they are very real. Jesus meets them, and they are clearly affected in some way by a demon that needs to be cast aside. And Jesus helps them. He says one word, and the demons are gone. It always strikes me how quickly Jesus is able to cast aside demons. It's nothing like the movie The Exorcist, where a priest has to spiritually battle a demon for a long period of time. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus maintains control over the situation from beginning to end, and cast away this demon with a simple word. The demons have no power, Christ has all power. And he cast them into a herd of pigs. Jews do not normally raise pigs, so that means that either this herd was from a Gentile who lived in the area, or that these farmers weren't very devout. Either one would make sense in this context, but it does show that whoever was raising these animals was not particularly in tune to the religious nature of the time. Now, the Gospel of Luke tells us that the man that he describes in the tomb rejoined society, put on clothes, and was in right mind by all accounts, and that he had a much better life for it. And we can assume that these two men in the Gospel of Matthew probably had the same sort of transition. They probably went from living in the tombs to living in society. But people in the town were not happy that these two men had rejoined them. Instead, they were upset that the pigs were gone. So they confronted Jesus, and he left. He probably could have done much more in the town, but the people there didn't care about healing. Instead, they just wanted their money back. And it's a reminder for us today that Jesus can do a lot in our lives, but we can't cast him away. It's true that sometimes people might be offended by good deeds, might not see the love in front of them. But it's better for us to continue our ministry elsewhere than try to push through it, just as Jesus did. Because there's always someone else needing help, which is true from our next reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 1. Through 8, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this point, some teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man matthew chapter 9 verse 1 through 9 so jesus left the town he got in a boat and sailed back to his hometown we know from the other gospels that this was capernaum probably back to peter's home which seemed to be a base of operations for his ministry in this area. The men of the town knew that Jesus was back and that he had been healing people. So, they brought this man, who had been afflicted with paralysis, to Jesus to be healed. And in this healing, Matthew gives us a little bit of Jesus' teachings or lessons, too. They wanted the men to be healed physically, but Jesus was more concerned about something else, about his soul. So he says, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. And by this, he is demonstrating that it's not just healing and what the world views as healing that is important, but healing spiritually, being made whole on a deeper level, matters more than your body. Now, Of course, the authorities of the law, the Jewish people in power, were upset by this, saying that his sins were forgiven. And it's only then, when the others are offended, that Jesus says, take up your mat and go home. And I think it's a bit surprising that after he picks up his mat and goes home, people are filled with awe and praise, but they weren't when Jesus healed his soul. Eventually, this man would die. He's not around today. This man, eventually, would be afflicted by some other illness and would pass away. His physical health would be gone. It would deteriorate. But his soul, his soul lives on. His sins being forgiven was more important than his paralysis being lifted. And the same is true for us. Our bodies, our health, will eventually go away. As strong as you are now, eventually, you won't be that way. Jesus is telling us that praying for your health is great. And sometimes Jesus will give you the miracle you ask for, telling you to pick up your mat and go home. But the true miracle is the forgiveness of sin. That is the healing that we need. Which leads us into our final reading for today. The calling of Matthew, which I think is very important, since this gospel is often referred to as the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9-13 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. The first thing of note here is that you don't see any mention that this Matthew is the one that wrote this gospel. As I said in our very first episode, we have no real biblical evidence for the authorship of Matthew. Matthew was proposed much later, about 100 years after this gospel is written as the author, but we don't know that for sure. And the way that Matthew is discussed in this gospel, well, it doesn't make it seem as if he's the author either. Doesn't refer to himself as John does without using his name, as John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And nowhere does he say that he would go on to write this. So I think that this is just more evidence that Matthew may not have been the author, even though it may have been one of his disciples. Maybe someone who knew that Matthew was originally a tax collector could have written this gospel without it having to be Matthew precisely. But tax collectors, as we mentioned last week, were not well liked. Back then, or really today, either. And no one likes their money being taken from them. And back then, they were often seen as traitors to the Jewish people, especially the Jewish tax collectors, because they were collecting taxes for Rome, that oppressive empire. So most rabbis or teachers of the law would never eat with them. But Jesus' willingness to sit down with Matthew shows his willingness to offend to do what is right. Because he won over Matthew. Matthew, even if he did not write this gospel, did become a disciple. And he may have instructed the disciple who wrote this gospel, for all we know. He was a tax collector, but he became a leader of the faith. Jesus was more than happy to sit down with someone who may be seen as a sinner It will help propel his mission. And the same can be said for us today. As a Christian, we need to be with the people who need love in their lives, even if they might be somewhat unsavory, to share with them the love of Christ and the love of God, because often that's what they need. Love. And they might not have anyone else to give it to them. Sometimes, love is offensive, and sharing love with others, well, it can be seen as sinful to others. But as Jesus tells us, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but instead, it is the sick. And the Pharisees didn't get that, and they won't get that. All the way through the Gospels, they won't get it one bit, just as the townsmen who were upset when the pigs ran into the water. They weren't happy for the people who were saved, but they were upset that their customs and norms were broken, even if their sins were set free. And that's what we can learn from Jesus this week, that it is better to follow Jesus than to follow man. And sometimes following Jesus will offend people, even though it's right. As always, I'd like to thank you for joining me this week. If you have any questions over the material or any prayer request, please email me at Bourbon at gmail.com. Additionally, while it is true that Jesus drank wine and an occasional glass is different than an addiction, if you need help, please seek it, and if you need help but don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone.